Well, good morning, Grace Point Church. Good to see you. You know, I love how God prepares moments for you and I. And I do believe the way the worship and the Word of God kind of comes together. Uh, for me, I get to understand more of that because I know what you just did, and I know where we're going to go when we get into God's Word. And God led Chachi to go ahead in this past week focusing on uh, two things. One is anxiety, and we're going to go there this morning. Uh, what is or what will rob you of this Advent season? This is the beginning of Advent. We have four Sundays starting this morning before we celebrate Christmas Eve, and then Christmas morning is on a Sunday. But anxiety will be a thief. It will rob you of the reflection moments that God wants to just whisper to you when you're in the car, when you're at home, when you're right here. Anxiety will dilute that. Anxiety comes in two forms. We're going to take a look at both of those this morning. Uh, some anxiety comes with what is right in front of you. The immediate pressure that you're feeling from him, her, them, that. What you don't have enough of and you think you must have. What is staring you? What is right here that you're anxious about? There's another anxiety, and that is the longer look. Some of you, you're, you're more than aware. You're anxious about a political cycle. You're anxious about the longer trajectory of where you see the world going. So what anxiety, short-term, long-term, they're both going to rob you. This morning, as we get into God's Word, uh, if you have your Bible, digital or physical, take a look at, with me at Mark chapter 13. We're in this, we're in this series, long series, uh, 16 chapters, Gospel of Mark. And uh, I'm thankful for Jim Wilson to come back last Sunday, and he uh, was unpacking one of my favorite stories about the widow, the poor widow who gave two bits, two mites. And Jesus says, stop what you're doing in this crowded temple. And I want you to go ahead and highlight. I want you to focus in on what just happened that most of you would miss. That was last Sunday. Uh, this morning, we're going to take a look at uh, what happened on that Tuesday evening. So starting in Mark chapter 11, uh, Mark slows down. We've been here for a while. Mark slows down. And now the last six chapters of Mark, he focuses in on pretty much seven days, the Passion Week. And then there is a glimpse of a little bit of Jesus coming back. But the focus and our focus for the study is this Passion Week. So Jesus rode in on a donkey uh, on Palm Sunday, a few days earlier than where we're at, looks around, goes back to Bethany, comes back on Monday, and he makes a mess. He goes back into the temple, and he turns over tables, and doesn't just turn over tables. He stops the, 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 the religious rituals going on. 
He says, everybody just needs to stop. It's not what God wanted. Some of you, you're doing it. You don't even know why you're doing it. And some of you, you're profiting selfishly from it. So he stops the whole thing. And this doesn't leave Monday. Now he teaches for the rest of the day. So he says, and then I'm sure he teaches on the kingdom of God. And then he confronts the religious leaders who have turned God's temple into a den of robbers. We looked at that. That was Monday. So then Tuesday is the long day in this Passion Week that's described in, in Mark. And that's where we're wrapping up finally tonight or this morning. It's, it's late Tuesday. And uh, Jesus comes back, more confronting the religious leaders, more teaching the crowd, those who has ears to hear. But then Jesus goes into some prophecy in Mark chapter 13. And sadly, uh, this chapter has been argued over more than any other chapter in all 16 chapters of the book of Mark. I say sadly because it doesn't have to be. That's why this morning, typically we kind of take a look at four or five, six verses, you know, those kind of things. We slowly unpack it. We're looking at all of Mark 13 this morning because that's what we need to do to not miss context. So we're going to kind of go through all of it this morning, and uh, we're going to go ahead and do some summary, but you need to get all of it, and it has everything to do with your anxiety. It has everything to do with what is right in front of you, that bill, that problem, that diagnosis, that disappointment. It also has to do with where you are very concerned about the world, um, this country, this state, your, 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 your future family. I mean, son, and so we're, we're going to go there. So I don't want us to get lost in this prophecy because we need to get into our uh, story as well. We're, we're going to do both. So with all that, let's take a good look. Let's start in chapter 13, verse 1. And so uh, Jesus... Uh, has been spending the Tuesday that we have been unpacking for weeks now, and he's wrapping up a long day. He's tired. And I love how Jesus never misses an opportunity when someone has ears to hear. And these disciples, they've heard a lot. They, they're ready to go ahead and go back to Bethany two miles away. But they, they say something. One of the 12 looks back when they leave the temple, and they're pretty impressed at this temple, as they should be. It really was one of the marvels of the world, one of the great infrastructures and the great buildings of, of the Roman dynasty. And uh, it was not even completed yet. And over in John chapter 2, verse 20, we know that it has been building, it has been constructed for 46 years. And so it's almost close, and it's massive. And so they're leaving. Jesus isn't looking back. But one of the disciples look, looks back and sees the, the, this temple. And he says, Jesus, that's pretty impressive. I mean, let's, let's take a moment. This, this place is, is pretty special, isn't it? And that's where Jesus stops and spends some more time training the 12. So here we go. Mark chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Uh, Mark 13, verse 1. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, rabbi, 
What wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, this is what I would call a, a verbal grenade. And he, he does that every now and then. I mean, we don't know which of the disciples makes this just pleasant uh, observation of this massive, beautiful, ornate temple. And that Jesus basically just pulls out a verbal grenade and just blows up their thinking. As if uh, you'd be at the White House or at one of the major monuments that man has made. And you're impressed by it. And one of the tour guides said, yeah, it's, it's coming down. I mean, you, you just, that was just becoming out of nowhere. So here we go. Uh, and Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. It's interesting here. They believe him. They've been with Jesus for three and a half years. And uh, they're growing in their faith. And so their questions isn't testing Jesus. They, they want to learn more about what he just said. We're, we're, we're going to go there. Uh, some of you have had the privilege, as I have, to be in Israel and uh, I think we got about 45 or 50 of you that are signed up to go next October, finally, after all this COVID craziness is semi-over. No more mandating, uh, shot vaccinating, all that kind of thing. And uh, so, uh, but if you go there, literally, you can see the, the foundational stones that are still there. Now, not one stone is upon the other. There's, the, there's a retaining wall that you can see. And you have these massive stones that are still there uh, from King Herod's days. Uh, literally like a hundred tons and uh, they're like 40 feet uh, wide and about, about 18 to 20 feet deep and about 12 feet high. I mean, and, and no hydraulic lifts back then. Uh, they, they had literally had rollers and, and, and pushers and that's why it took so many years. It was impressive back then. It still is impressive today. And I think this is one of these crazy prophecies that Jesus said that had Basically, no credibility until it happened. This temple is going to have to last forever. It is just too huge. And when Jesus said, it's, it's coming down. Uh, and it did. 70 AD, a Roman emperor named Titus. Uh, he basically, he wasn't the, the, the first bully of the Roman regime. But he was the one that took the aggression towards Judaism to a whole new level. He wanted to erase Judaism. He wanted to go ahead and replace it with Hellenism, the Grecian culture. And so he, uh, he uh, we'll talk a little bit about that a little bit later on. He surrounded the city. He, he starved it. He sieged it. And he waited for those inside not to die, although that was his plan, but to turn on each other. And they did. As their anxiety and their starvation started getting more severe. So that happened in 70 AD. As a matter of fact, Titus um, did not want the temple to be ruined. It was just too beautiful, too ornate. He probably wanted to use it. As a matter of fact, he was the one that uh, wanted to go ahead and uh, dilute and, and do away with Judaism. And so he knew that pigs were an, an unclean animal and you would never allow a pig to come into the temple. We brought a herd of pigs into the temple. And he established religious prostitution. He turned the temple courts into brothels for, 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 for pleasure, prostitution. 
Um, it, it was a mess. And then he set up a throne in the holy place for Zeus, the Greek God. And so literally he says, I'm going to just take away what you believe and I'm going to replace it with what you should believe. And uh, so that was a mess. And so that happened all in 70 AD. We'll talk a little bit more about that a little bit later. So do you see this great buildings? Uh, there will not be here one stone left upon another. So uh, all these temple monuments were supposed to be preserved so that Zeus could be worshipped and the brothels could be going and, and all those kind of things. What's well, interesting that he did not want it to happen, but a soldier, Roman soldier, lit the temple on fire. And you got the curtains, you got the utensils, you got all this stuff, and then the place burned. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of ornate minerals, gold and other minerals inside the temple. And then that's how the soldiers, they wanted to go ahead and make sure they get all the gold. So it was the soldiers who toppled all the stones one upon another. And so when they were done, because they want to get all the gold in the cracks as the minerals melted. And, uh, and what Jesus prophesied, that literally was ridiculous. I mean, you don't have this massive temple going anywhere. And Jesus says... Not only will it happen, but it's going to happen in that generation. You're going to see it. And they did. And so that's what's going on here. And so crazy town. And so there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Take a look at verse 3 now. Mark 13, verse 3. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple. So one turns and says... That's pretty awesome. And then Jesus says, yeah, it's, it's coming down, all of it, in this generation. He's going there. And so then later on, they go down into the Kidron Valley. And before they get to Bethany, which is about two miles away to spend the night, um, they sit a little bit at the Mount of Olives, and they look over to this massive temple. And then four of the 12, they kind of pull Jesus away, Peter, James, and John, and then Peter's brother, Andrew. And uh, they want more info about this crazy prophecy that Jesus just said. So here we go. As he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when it's going to happen? When all these things are about to be accomplished? They're not doubting it. They just don't want to be there when it happens. And so, okay, Jesus, you just said something. We believe you, your Lord, and everything you said has come to pass. We've seen you do what only God can do. So when will these things happen? And when will we know what will be the imminent signs so that we can go ahead and not be there when the rocks come tumbling down? And... Uh, it's interesting that they probably remember because it was just a day earlier. This is what day? This is Tuesday. So on Monday, uh, Jesus already gave a similar prophecy about this temple. And uh, so I'm going to give you a little bit of that. And uh, so again, we're walking through Mark. Mark doesn't include this, but if you remember, we looked at Luke chapter 19. Uh, this was on a Monday. And so Jesus, before he comes back into the temple to turn over the tables and stop all this misrepresentation of God's character. And that's really what it was. And uh, Jesus 
weeps over the temple, weeps over the people. And I want to just remind you where we were because uh, this is the first prophecy uh, of which he repeats on a Tuesday. So look at, real quick, Luke 19, 41. And, and when he drew near and saw the city, this is Monday, he, he wept over the city. He's very grieved. He's broken over what he saw the night before, all the, the, the misuse of the temple and all of the confusion about why people sacrificed in the first place. And so they, they just all missed it. And so he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. I mean, all the stuff you're doing is leading up to me. And I've come to bring peace between you and a holy God. But now they are hidden from your eyes. You just don't see it. For the days will come upon you. And here is more specific prophecy of what happens in 70 A.D., For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you. And that happened. And surround you and hem you in on every side. When you're hemmed in, that's called the siege. And you can't get out. You only have so much resources inside. And then basically when the resources are done, you're done. You will be surrounded and you will be sieged. You'll be hemmed in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. That's what they wanted to avoid. Okay, if this is coming down, we don't want to be anywhere near it. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because, why? Because you did not know the time of your visitation. You've ignored, matter of fact, not even ignored, you you, 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 you pushed away, you persecuted the prophets of all that came to tell you about me. And then here I am. And the very people that should know me best are planning my crucifixion. So he knows what's going on. You're you're missing it. And then uh, for clarity's sake, look at verse 45 of Luke 19. And he entered the temple and he begins then to drive out those who sold all the stuff. Uh, It is written, my house shall be a house of prayer. It should be a place of reflection. Jew and Gentile should come and, and get more of the gospel understanding. But Literally, they're just leaving feeling, I think I just got ripped off. My house should be a house of prayer, but you have made it in a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple, teaching, no, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Here I am. Listen to me. Don't listen to those guys. That's why they tried to kill him, because you said, yeah, they're, they're missing it. Uh, the chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking then to destroy Jesus. Let me give you a little bit of Old Testament because I love how the Old Testament uh, and the New Testament all thread the gospel for us today. And, uh, and there's principles that we can learn from the good and the bad examples of Scripture. Uh, if there's one verse that, that uh, you see lived out over the Old Testament and in the New Testament and the now, it, it's, it's one of them is Proverbs 20, verse 30. Sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways. Isn't that true? Sometimes it takes something to topple down that you thought would never topple. Sometimes it takes an idol that you really have identified with. You don't call it an idol because that would be something you never want to admit to. But an idol is what you identify with, where your significance and security is found. You know, sometimes God says, I got to go ahead and show you how weak that is. 
I'm going to let that, I'm going to let that topple. Sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways. Here's the sad part. Sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change. But even through the painful experience, many people don't change their ways. And you're going to see that through this sad story of prophecy. And uh, so 700 years before Jesus, notice what God said through Isaiah about the, the tabernacle, about this place where God wants to dwell with his people and, and all the stuff that God put together. Notice what he says here. He says, guys, don't get distracted with the symbols. Uh, thus says the Lord, 700 years before Jesus is saying the temple's coming down. Heaven is my throne. Earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? What is the place that I may rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one whom I will look. As you are so impressed by this building, let me tell you who I'm impressed with. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit. Contrite in spirit means when God calls something sin in your life. Back then and today, you don't defend it. You don't excuse it. You admit that God's right about it. And that's what contrite means. You don't dismiss it. You say, God, you're right. Will you forgive it? Help me repent from it. And then who trembles at my word. The Pharisees did not tremble at Jesus' words. They took notes to have ammunition to turn him over to the Romans. And uh, so again, uh, there's nothing new. Uh, the same issues back in the Old Testament, New Testament, and now they're what we're talking about this morning. All right, let's get back to Mark now. So again, uh, wow, cool building. Yeah, it's coming down. And Jesus, could you tell us more? That's where we are, yeah? And so now let's take a look at Mark 13, verse 5. And Jesus began to say to them. So right after they said, okay, Jesus, you can't just say that and then not let us ask you questions about it. When is that going to happen? And then when do we know uh, right before it's going to happen so that we are not anywhere near those stones when they topple? And we don't want to be part of this siege. We don't want to be part of this where people are hemmed in. I mean, back in Luke 19. So they're saying, okay, when is it going to happen? And then when do we really know it's time? And so let's take a look a little bit more. And Jesus began to say, notice what he says. He doesn't answer their questions, but he knows what people tend to do with anxiety. See that no one leads you astray. It's interesting that Jesus was asked, when? And, and then what are the immediate signs that imminent destruction, judgment's going to happen? And tell us the time. And Jesus says, see that no one leads you astray. See, what happens in anxiety back then and today is that people develop what I would call from anxiety a herd mentality. So basically the loudest person and the most confident person in an anxious arena, tends to be followed. Because people are looking for a quick fix. It says, when literally it seems all hell is breaking loose, don't listen to the loudest person. 
Be careful and don't just follow the herd. See that no one leads you astray. Verse 6, many will come in my name in times like that saying, I am he, follow me, I'll see you through. And they will lead many astray. And when you hear wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Ever since Genesis 3, there were wars and rumors of wars. And many people were anxious and were led astray through false teaching ever since. He says, guys, you're asking me what is imminent? Let me tell you what's not imminent. And when this happens, be very careful what you do with your anxiety. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place. Boy, I tell you, that's the thorns and thistles that started to grow. The, the pains and the sufferings and the cancers, the confusion, all of that started when sin came in. This must take place, and the end is not yet. You're asking me what's imminent? This is not it. For nation will rise against nation. It started way back in Genesis 3. And kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pangs. Yes, they have increased over the years. And yes, there is more and more of a geographical uh, reality that things are growing, and this earth is groaning for final redemption when Jesus finally will come back. He says, these are not the answers to the question that you're asking. When are these temples falling? And when do we really know to get away uh, from them before they fall and before we're hemmed in? Luke 19. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. And so again, you got false teachers, you got wars and rumors of war, you have earthquakes and famine. And he says, in all of that, don't let your anxiety win. Don't miss that grace point, because anxiety will prompt a herd mentality, and, and everybody's going to have an answer for your anxiety. And you're going to be looking for a quick fix. You're going to be looking for an easy way out. Where is the path downhill? And that is literally how nations have chosen to follow certain people over history, if you know some of the histories, and uh, anxiety. Okay, and so, uh, so be, 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 be careful. And uh, so again, so Jesus tells these four, I'm not going to do a lot of history. You can nerd out and go after this. Over the years, there have been wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and famines, and it is growing. It's always been. There's thorns and thistles, and Jesus said it would be so. And so these are happening, but those are not the imminent signs. And uh, just one, it's interesting, so 55 AD is when Mark wrote his gospel, most likely he was the second gospel, about 14 years after 41 AD when Matthew wrote his. And so right after that, though, you have 67 AD, uh, about 10 years after that, where you had literally an insurrection, one of several that you can really point to uh, before the 70 AD and after Jesus made this prophecy. And then you had a group of Jewish zealots who basically took over the temple 
and, uh, and established their own chief priest and had some false teaching and this insurrection. And I'm sure they're wondering if this is the one. And uh, it wasn't the one, but things are getting close. And so you, you, you can study all that. But let me give you Mark 13, verse 9 now. So again, be on your guard. It's going to get crazy. And uh, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in the synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. What's he saying? Along with false teaching, along with uh, earthquakes and famines and, and, and all that, uh, you're going to be persecuted for your faith in me. And uh, that is also not the imminent sign, but that's going to create some anxiety in you. And I want you to know what's coming. What they're going to do to me, they're going to want to do to you. And so he's trying to prepare them back then and today, by the way. And uh, so, uh, and you will be beaten in the synagogues and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. If you know some of the New Testament in the book of Acts, I believe this, and there's some layers of prophecy we're going to go after. I believe that you have Pentecost right here. And so, and the gospel must be proclaimed to all nations. So you have Acts 1.8 where Jesus says, stay here until you're empowered by the Holy Spirit and then move out uh, and then go ahead and, and spread the word to the nations as I give you tongues, as I give you the ability to speak in other people's languages that miraculously can only happen if I allow you and empower you to do so. And that's what happened at Pentecost. And so then after that, you know what they did? They stayed in Jerusalem. So you have Acts 1 verse 8 where God gives them the power to go ahead and advance the gospel to all nations and they stay in Jerusalem. Why? Because they think Jesus is immediately coming back. Why else would I stay? Because I don't want to miss this. Because I know he's coming back and where he left. And so you have Acts 1.8. And then you have Acts 8.1. And, uh, and then Acts 8.1 is when persecution breaks out. And uh, at a whole new level. And says, listen, if you're not going to go out on your own, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and turn up the heat. And, uh, and you're going to run with the gospel uh, away from Jerusalem. And, uh, and uh, the gospel is going to spread. And that, that's really what happens. All right, let me get back to Mark 13, verse 11 now. We're going to kind of get through the whole chapter. We'll be done by one, you think? No, no, we're not. So here we go. Mark 13, verse 11. And when they bring you, not me, I'm about, they know that Jesus is about to go to trial. And they know that Jesus is about to be arrested because Jesus has been telling that over and over and over again. We've been looking at that. And now he says, guys, I'm not alone here. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. So again, Jesus is going to go, but the persecution is going to grow. And Jesus says that I must go, and I'm going to send my helper, my Holy Spirit, and you will never be alone. And you will always be given what to say. You'll always be given the power to do his will. And uh, that's good news back then and today. Mark 13, verse 11. Notice what Jesus, he's giving them a, an answer that they didn't expect, right? Uh, but he's given the answer that they need. Because Jesus back then and today wants to prepare you for what you will want to do when you're anxious. He knows it's going to be hard for them. 
And he knows what you're going through right now. So let's take a look at verse 12. Mark 13 still. And brother will deliver brother over to death. And father his child. And children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. That really did happen. Um, It really started to increase about 64 AD with the emperor Nero. When literally it wasn't just... Uh, generally, uh, in the area, you're going to have false teaching. Generally, in the area, you're going to have earthquakes and famines, uh, and everybody's going to be affected. Uh, no, now there's going to be some specific persecution for those targeted that are saying, I belong to Jesus. And literally, family members are going to turn over family members to, uh, to, to the Romans. And, and that, that literally did happen. Matter of fact, that still happens today, by the way. There are more martyrs today than in ever time in history. Uh, I had the privilege several times over the years with some traveling that people had to be baptized in secret and uh, because they wanted to be baptized, but if family members found out, literally they would sign their death warrant. And uh, Ron and I, we were talking just a couple of days ago about an amazing man uh, who we'd love to be back in touch with, who was in exile in Germany. And, uh, and he's in Germany because his family said, if you ever come back to where he was from, um, they would meet him and they would kill him immediately. And uh, so it, it still happens. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So listen, anxiety wants to win. Endure finish strong, and wait for the well done, my good and faithful servant. So he is trying to help them prepare for what he knows is coming. You can guys can look at this. 64 AD is when the emperor Nero, uh, for like nine days, it starts July 19th. I mean, this is history. There was a, a fire in Rome. Two-thirds of Rome was decimated through fire. And uh, who knows who started it, and we don't know all that, but we do know who was blamed for it. Nero blamed the Christians. Nero said they started, and that's when families turned on family, and that's when uh, the beheadings and and the, uh, the bodies being burned, and the persecution went to a whole new level, uh, 64 AD. But even then, it was not imminent. Even then, Jesus says, it's going to happen, but... To answer your question, when are the stones coming down? Not yet. And if, you're, if, you're, if you know where we're going, by the way, he does finally answer that. And I'm, gonna, I'm getting to it. And so, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So then so far, he says, you want to know uh, when, generally, and then when should I not be anywhere close to these uh, stones? And when... Is this hemming in, this siege going to happen? Because we don't want to be inside the city when it happens. And so uh, Jesus now finally is about to, to, to answer that in Mark 13, verse 14. Up to now, I want you to notice something, though. With your anxiety, back then and today, you're going to want to run. You're going to want to be part of a herd that is panicked and worried and just will go with the flow. He says, don't do it. Stand firm. Finish strong. 
God will give you the power and the presence to do so, but he won't do it for you. You must rely on him to, to, to trust him in those moments. Endure well. Stand firm. But there is a time right now in verse 14 says, when this happens, don't stand firm. Get out. Run away. Take your kids. Take your family. Take everybody you can. Get out of the city. Because if you don't get out of the city, you will be hemmed in. You will be part of the starvation. You will be part of the siege. And that's really what happened in AD 70. Over a million Jews inside Jerusalem were killed, either through crucifixion, starvation, or sword. And Jesus is trying to protect them of, of, of when that is about to happen. So let's take a look at that. Look at Mark 13, verse 14. But when, here's the but. Okay, all that's coming. Don't panic. Stand firm. Be salt and light. I will be with you. My spirit will empower you, even give you the words to say when you were on the trial from this world. But when you see the abomination of desolation, standing where he ought not to be, literally in the, in the parentheses, let the reader understand. He says, this is it. You want to know when to get out, when to run? This is it. Then let those who are in Judea, Judea is where Jerusalem is, flee to the mountains. Don't flee with all the other precursors. It's just part of being in a broken world. Stay faithful, stay strong, salt and light. But if you're anywhere close to Jerusalem, when you see this person described as the abomination of desolation, standing where he ought not to be, uh, then get out of the region. If you don't get out, you're going to get stuck. And so that's where it is. And hear me, that's why I'm kind of going through this context. It's really all about answering their question about this temple that's coming down. And, uh, and so literally, he says, that's the time to flee from Judea to the mountains. Uh, if you know some of the Bible, and some of you do, some of you don't, we love how at Grace Point we have a variety of levels of, of biblical awareness. And, uh, and hear me, back then and today, maturity is not measured by how much you know, but how much you do with what you know, right? But some of you know more than others. That doesn't mean you're more mature than others. It just means you have a little bit more Bible stuff above the neck. And, uh, and so again, uh, some of you... Uh, that have known some of the Old Testament, you know this abomination of desolation. Doesn't that sound familiar? If you have your Bible, digital, physical, I don't know if you can do it digitally, but you might want to write Daniel chapter 9 and Daniel chapter 11 because that's the first time this abomination that leads to desolation occurs. And so again, I'm not going to nerd out here too much on this one, but boy, Daniel, 606 BC, he's taken from Israel, going over and put in exile in Babylon. He lives the rest of his days away from God's promised land, yeah? And so over in Daniel, he's over in, in Babylon, he's faithful. And then we went through the book of Daniel for, for a long time at Grace Point. We looked at all these visions and dreams that God gave him. And then Daniel chapter 9 and Daniel chapter 11 are two huge chapters there. And in each of those, there's a prophecy of this abomination leading to desolation. And it's important for you to know, yes, that does describe the coming final antichrist. But the Bible is clear. There have been antichrists people against Christ in every generation. And so, uh, so many people go crazy 
because they think this Antichrist must be the last Antichrist. And over in 1 John says, guys, it's just the next one. And uh, so stay faithful, stay, 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 stay obedient. Um, but uh, so again, the abomination desolation, there have already been some before Mark shares this in his gospel, before Jesus shares this on a Tuesday. Um, but what's the first one? Let me give you a little bit of this. And uh, you got Daniel 9, Daniel 11. Let me, just, let me just give you Daniel 11 this morning. This is the first time. So Daniel is looking ahead and, and, and what's going to happen to his people. And then God gives Daniel a little bit longer look. And uh, take a look. Forces from him shall appear and, and profane the temple and the fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering. And they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. There would be such practices uh, that would be uh, categorized as an abomination of what should not happen in the temple, and that's going to lead for people to leave, and, and, and the temple will, will be desolate. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. He's going to try to win a few people over with flowery words, but the people who know their God shall stand firm, and they shall take action. So again, in that time, Stand firm, take action, and refute false teaching and, and all that kind of thing. Daniel 11. Real quick, Daniel 11, 36, we'll get back to Mark. And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every God and shall speak astonishing things against the God of gods. The reason why I'm telling you that, this has happened over and over and over. Matter of fact, most likely the, the, the next one that was really uh, descriptive in, in this Daniel 11 prophecy, 168 BC, Antiochus of Epiphanes. We looked at him in more detail when we went through the book of Daniel, but man, he was a bad guy. And uh, he not only came in and wanted to go ahead and replace Judaism with Hellenism, he came in and says, you need to worship me. If you don't worship me as your God, uh, I'm going to kill you and I'm going to try to kill everybody that ever knew you. And so this was, this was a bad guy. He was the one that did all this crazy stuff. He did the brothels. He did the pigs. He did all that stuff. All right, let's get back to Mark chapter 13. Mark 13, verse 14. But when you see this abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be on the throne, declaring himself to be God, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. We just talked about that. So let's, go, let's keep going. Let the one who is on the housetop. So when... Not all these precursor signs, but when the guy comes in, declares himself God, and, and literally, this is before the city is, is, is sieged in, but this is the sign. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. This is the time. If you're anywhere near Judea, get out, go to the mountains. And let the one who is in the field not turn back into the city to get his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, it's going to be awful. But don't go back to get more stuff. When he sits and when he declares, get out. Because if you don't get out, you're not going to be able to get out. And uh, that's, that's the answer. And, and boy, I tell you, look at verse 18. I know we're going through a lot. But don't miss this. Jesus implies something, and I don't know when this is going to happen. Don't miss that. Jesus is not playing with these guys. He literally doesn't know specifically. He knows the sign of when it's imminent, when this guy plays God and sits on the throne and you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be. But then in verse 18, pray that it may not happen in winter. Pray that it's not too cold when this happens because you're going to be in the mountains for a good long time. 
And so literally he's saying, and he's going to be much more clear in a minute, I really don't know when this is going to happen. I know the signs. I'm giving you the signs because the Holy Spirit gave me something to tell you. And, uh, but I hope uh, for this generation's sake, because it's going to happen in this generation, I pray that it may not happen in winter. So uh, that's, uh, that, that, that's interesting stuff. And kind of some of you think, well, gosh, I thought Jesus knew everything. Let me jump down just real quick. Uh, look with me on your Bible. Let's look down to verse 28 real quick. Jesus says something, and it's in context. Let, let's take a look at verse 28, and then we're going to get back uh, to, to verse 19. And he says, uh, he, he's talking about this, this, uh, this temple destruction. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that the summer is near. You know, this is another fig tree lesson. It's like you know when it's imminent that there's going to be some figs. Uh, when it's summertime is when the leaves start showing up. He says, listen, when this guy shows up, it's imminent. And uh, you don't need to wait. You don't need to wonder or for another sign. This is the sign. And so, alas, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Who's he? That's this abomination of desolation. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Here's, you know, again, pray it doesn't happen in winter. Take a look at verse 32. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor me, nor the son, but only the father. We're going to hold on to that thought in just a little bit, but get your arms around that. This incarnation, this miracle of when God put on skin, yeah, he left his omnipotence, all power. He left his omniscience, all knowing in heaven. So I'm going to go ahead and humble myself. I'm going to need to rely on the Holy Spirit just as much as you're going to have to, and I'm going to show you how. So again, uh, this is going to happen in this generation, but when it happens, I want to prepare this generation, including these disciples. Don't get anxious. Don't run. Don't be part of the herd. Uh, stand firm. But let me tell you, when this guy shows up, and I just described him, don't stand firm. Get you and get anyone else that you can out of town. Let's go back to verse 19. Uh, so let's get back to, and, and just kind of walk this through. For in those days, there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now. Grace Point Church, this is talking about the fall of the temple in Jerusalem. Now, there are some prophecy layers related to the end times, and I'm going to talk to you about that in just a minute because Jesus does. But don't miss the context here. From in those days, there will be such tribulation as not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short those days, what awful things happened in 70 AD, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, for those that God chose to protect, whom he chose, he shortened those days. And again, like I said, over a million uh, Jews inside the city that couldn't get out died of either crucifixion uh, starvation, or when the Romans came in with their swords. And literally, sadly, many of the Jews turned on each other horrendously when it was either you live or I live. And uh, Jesus says, for the sake of those who are left, 
Uh, I allowed this to happen for some judgment, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that. But uh, I, I put an end to it, lest all would not make it out. So uh, take a look at uh, verse 21 now. And, and then, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ when all this is happening, or look, there he is, don't let anxiety turn you into this herd that will just follow the loudest person in the room. False Christ and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead people astray if possible, the elect, those that really are walking with the Lord. Be on guard. I have told you all these things beforehand. Okay, can we all admit that's some crazy stuff, right? So there's, hey, cool building. And then after all that, let me tell you, it's coming down. Well, what are the signs? Well, let me tell you what's not the sign, but let me tell you who is the sign. And when that guy shows up and stands where you ought not stand, you don't even go back in your coat. Literally, uh, run so fast that your kids have a hard time keeping up. But don't wait. And uh, don't go back and get your lunch or laptop or whatever and, uh, because this is serious. And uh, so, again, that, that's the point. So on your outline, though, notice this. There's two prophecies here. Uh, one significant prophecy is about the temple, and we just did that, a prophecy about the earthly temple. But now, finally, we get to a prophecy, just a few verses about the end times. Why does Jesus, after answering this earthly temple prophecy, says, okay, guys, I need you to know what's going to happen after that tribulation time. And uh, that's where I want you to remember as you get out of here uh, when we wrap up in a little bit. So now on your outline, a prophecy about end times. I don't have that title here. I just have the passage here. But don't miss this. Notice what he says here. Look at 13 verse 24. But in those days after what? That tribulation. What's that tribulation? 70 A.D., when the man who stands and declares what he ought not to declare and where he ought not stand, he's going to declare himself and he'll kill you if you don't kill yourself inside Jerusalem if you don't get out. It's going to be more horrendous than anything that's ever happened to the Jewish people, uh, specifically to the Christ followers, and uh, I want to warn you. So, But in those days, after that tribulation, here it is. Now, let me tell you, that won't have the last word on history. And this is what Jesus says. Now he takes a lot longer look. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven. Well, that's a little different. Earlier on, let me tell you what the signs leading up to the temple destruction. You got earthquakes, you got famines. This takes signs to a whole new level. Now, this is celestial. This is heavenly. This is a place where you're, you're just not going to miss it. Stars are going to fall. Heavenlies are going to basically move in such a way that is not possible as if God would not intentionally do it. That, that's the point. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened. The moon will, of course, not give its light because the sun will not be given in light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see me, the son of man, coming in the clouds with great power and glory. He says, after that tribulation, really after any previous tribulation, I won't be done. The kingdom of God will not be defeated. 
this mustard seed's going to continue to grow. And let me tell you what the final score is going to be. I'm going to win. And I'm going to come back with all power and glory. And then he, the Son of Man, will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds and from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Again, you have Isaiah, you have Joel, you have Revelation, you have these descriptions, Old Testament and New Testament, about the heavens falling, about this celestial attention-getting moment where if people know the scriptures, you know what? That is unmistakable. He's coming. Just as unmistakable as when this guy stands up and arrogantly declares himself God, 70 AD, that's imminent. This is the imminent signs of Jesus' second coming. Why would he, after focusing all that on the temple, to don't get anywhere near it when this happens, why would he give just a few verses, 24 through 27, talking about what's going to happen after that tribulation? Hold that thought because there's a good answer to it. And I'm going to get to that in a little bit. So here, all that to say is, let's get out of this prophecy stuff. And now look with me on your outline. And uh, a, a plan for, for back then and today. So here it is. Take a look at verse 33 through 37. We're almost done. This is the last few verses, but classic Jesus. He gives a lot of information, but then he gives application. Don't leave just with the information. Leave with some application. Leave with, okay, what do I do with this? Uh, what do I do with my anxiety that is right here, right now, and this anxiety I feel about where this world is eventually going? And uh, it seems like it's getting worse and worse. And it is. Uh, so what, what do you do? So uh, let's take a look at a few things uh, for back then and, and today. Look at Mark 13, verse 33 through 37. And I'm going to just give you a few lines and then we'll call it a morning. Take a look. Be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. Don't, don't be anxious about it. Just be on guard and don't be surprised. Pay attention to the signs. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work to do, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come. In the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and you're sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to you all, stay awake. So that's how to apply all this. Let me take that and give you a few lines to, to write down because Grace Point Church, I want to help prepare you according to God's word about what wants to consume you with anxiety. So here's how to go ahead and, uh, and walk into this coming week based on all that we just looked at. Let me give you some things on your outline. Here's a plan for back then and today. Here's the first one, be awake or be alert. Literally four times in these five verses of 33 through 37, be awake, stay awake, stay awake, stay awake. The idea there is don't fall asleep. Don't live with your head in the ground. Be looking because there are signs, and you need to go ahead and, uh, and, uh, and, and, and be, be awake. There are two prophecies here that Jesus mentions. One's longer, one's shorter, but both 
have the same application of be awake. The first prophecy, be ready to run back then. That's the time to flee Judea, get out of Jerusalem, get out of Judea, head to the mountains. Be ready, be alert. Don't get panicking when all these other signs, but when he stands, when he says, when he does what this abomination of desolation, then be ready to run. Listen to me, Grace One Church. The second prophecy, be ready for Jesus' return. Be ready for when the heavenlies put on a star show that is unmistakable, that only God can do it. The idea there is don't be ready to run. Be ready to receive a well done. Live in such a way that Jesus is coming back. And if he comes back, you're ready to say, I've been faithful. I'm ready to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. It's kind of like, again, you live any way you want to, and then you have this doctor diagnosis, hey, you got a year to live. Then how are you going to live your last year? Listen to me, live like you're dying. Uh, live in such a way that he's returning. And be awake, be alert, live in light of. In that prophecy, it's going to happen in this generation. In the second coming, I don't have any idea. I think we're getting closer every moment. But I'm living in light of the fact that it could be this generation. And I'm living awake, alert. Because I want to be found faithful. Be awake. Be alert. Here's another one. Be accepting with what we don't know. Don't waste your time trying to figure out what God's not going to tell you. I mean, honestly, too many books have been read and argued. Too many churches have been divided over what Jesus says. I don't even know when I'm coming back. My father knows, and that's enough. Several times in this passage, Jesus says, hey, pray it doesn't happen in winter. Uh, and I don't know when the second coming is going to happen. But he's not saying it because it's bugging him. He's just saying it because it's true. Some of you, you have to know everything before you do the next thing. And let me tell you, that's arrogance. That's demandingness. Even Jesus did not know, and he was okay with that. So again, be accepting with what we do not know. Here's another one. Be all done with the old ways. One of the greatest tragedies of Jewish history is what they did after Jesus died and rose. When he died, we talked about this before, the veil in the Holy of Holies, between the holy place and the holy, it was ripped from top to bottom. As if God reached down and just kind of said, you know what, now y'all can come in. No more chief priest, Yom Kippur, one day a year. Listen, now you're clean because I'm clean. If you commit yourself to follow me and ask for my substitution on your sin problem. You know what they did with that veil after Jesus came and gone? They put it back. You know, they still have this temple earthly idea that that's how they can approach God. That's why on the Western Wall, they're there every day. I've been there, and they want to touch because that's the closest place they can be to where they believe the Spirit of God was. Listen to me. The temple has run its course. And before Jesus, the temple was the place where Moses hung out, where the people of God dwelled. Tabernacle means to dwell. And even in the midst of sin, there was a way that God could be in their lives. Old Testament and New Testament. But now Jesus comes, and they're still focusing on an earthly temple. 
and how they can go ahead and rip people off in that earthly temple. That's why Jesus says, listen, guys, it's coming down. This judgment on that generation, and specifically the Jewish leaders, was because of what Jesus wept over in Luke chapter 19. So be all done with old ways. It's as if Jesus says, listen, yes, that was a place where God's Shekinah glory, his Holy Spirit filled the temple. And then over in Ezekiel, I think Ezekiel 11, it, it leaves. And, 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 and then this, this God's presence is going to come back from the east gate. That would be Jesus on Palm Sunday, but they missed it. And because they were still fixated on this earthly temple. And Jesus said, listen, the spirit is back. I am he, Emmanuel, God with you. But you don't see me. You reject me. You're planning to kill me. And I'm right here. So again, uh, be all done with old ways. Don't let old ways prevent you from seeing new wineskins and new ways God wants to work in your life. Let me give you a couple great verses. And, and here we go. Look at 1 Corinthians 3.16, where the temple was is where the Holy Spirit was, and that's why it's still worshiped today. Listen to me. You are that temple now. If you have yielded your life to Jesus, your Messiah. And now 1 Corinthians 3, uh, this is Paul years later. Do you not know that you now are God's temple just as much as that earthly temple was and that God's spirit tabernacles in you? That's crazy stuff. Literally, I remember being on the Western Wall outside of the rope and where they're there and you can go right up to it and they're focused on the Western Wall and they're, they're, they're getting as close to where they think the Spirit of God is. And the Spirit of God was in me and in any other Christ follower behind them. But they're so fixating on the earthly, they miss the heavenly back then and today. How ironic is that? And look at 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Here it is. Whom you have from God? Yes. Now what are you going to do about that? So glorify God in your body. You know why Jesus was so ticked off on a Monday turning over tables? Because that's God's temple. And you shouldn't do that stuff inside God's temple. I thought about this this week. I'm God's temple. I don't deserve it. But I am it. Because Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior and the Holy Spirit is indwelling me because the Bible says so with God's presence and God's power. I wonder how often God would want to say to Pastor Bob, Bob, you are my temple. And what you're doing right now, your attitude and your action doesn't belong in my temple. That's what it means to glorify God in your body. Just as much as Jesus was broken over what was going on in an earthly temple, I wonder how often he's broken with what I choose to do in this temple. That gets real, really fast. So again, be all done with old ways. Bob, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit now. Be done with your old ways. Live to hear a well done. A couple more real quick. So be accepting with biblical tensions. Let's just be honest. It's hard to be in this season of history between the comings of Christ 
But honestly, it's been hard every season of history ever since Genesis 3. And one of the biblical tensions we just need to wrestle with is the kingdom of God is both now, right now, don't miss it, and not yet. It's still coming. How, how, there's some tension there. And if you don't miss the tension, you're going to miss a lot of biblical truth. Look at these verses real quick. Look at what Jesus said in Mark 1 years ago when we started this series, right? So the time is fulfilled. Jesus is coming. He's 30. He begins his public ministry. The kingdom of God is at hand. Here I am. Don't miss me. Repent. Believe in the gospel. I'm right here. That's Mark 1. The kingdom of God is where? Is now. Is at hand. A little bit later on, he teaches them how to pray. Oh, I went, I went too fast. Ma- Matthew 6, 9, and 10. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. How can your, your kingdom be now and your kingdom come? It's both now and not yet. God's kingdom is where God's power is. His, 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 his authority is yielded to. That's why Jesus says, may your will be done on earth as it already is in heaven. May your kingdom come on earth as it already is in heaven. Why would Jesus pray if it's already done here just as much as it's done there? It's not. So again, uh, be accepting with biblical tensions. And again, I'm not going to spend too much time on this one, but again, both work and worship. This is where it gets really practical, Grace Point Church. Live in light of Jesus' coming, and that's going to include work and worship. Work, work, put forth the effort, serve, sacrifice, sweat, invest. Put forth the energy as if Jesus truly is your Lord and Savior. Uh, and live in light of the fact that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, and the Holy Spirit makes your body his temple. So work, but also worship. You can do this on your own. Luke chapter 10. I thought about this this week. Luke 10, 25 to 27, you have this, this good Samaritan where he works. He sees a guy in need. He gets off his donkey. He pulls out his credit card, and he takes care of this guy. And then literally says, now, He's the hero in this story. You go and do likewise, right? That's what Jesus said. You know, the very next story, Luke is the only chronological gospel writer. So we know that this is exactly the next thing that Jesus did. And he goes to to, to Bethany, Luke chapter 10, 38 through 42. And so now he's at the home of Mary and Martha. And that's the classic story of Martha's in the kitchen preparing all the food. And Mary is just sitting and learning Jesus. And Martha's getting ticked off. That story And then Jesus says, that's not the time to work. That's the time to worship. That's the time to sit and be still at my feet. So for you, when is it? When is it time to work? When is it time to worship? Just make sure your week has both. That's the point. That's that tension. Sometimes to sweat, sometimes to serve, sometimes just to be still. So again, last one, be at peace with what is to come. I think this is why in this crazy chapter full of prophecy where he's answering what's coming in 70 AD, he says, guys, when that tribulation happens, know that that is not the last word. I'm coming back. I want you to endure now, but I want you to go ahead and put your faith in what is not yet. 
Last verse, and then I'm done. Look at John 16, verse 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. He says that to every generation. This is Advent Sunday. And I'm going to bring Chachi back. And uh, Chachi's wondering if I'm ever coming back. This is the time. So she's going to come back, and we're going to do one last song. But we have four Sundays starting now, leading up to Christmas Eve. Here's what I want you to reflect on this week. Be at peace. Live in light of the rest deep in your soul. You can't have a restful soul and an anxious soul at the same time. But have a restful soul knowing that Jesus is coming back. That your faith will be rewarded. I think the word that I want to encourage you with to leave here is hope. And this is the first candle of Advent that when Jesus Christ comes the first time. And then when he's going to come the second time. May you live with hope. And honestly, sometimes for me, the only thing that I can look at and trust is my hope in Jesus. I remember standing actually here in this auditorium some years ago as I was facilitating a funeral for a young child. And that week I was hurting. The God, why? The tears and the grief could have been prevented. I was really struggling, as many were. And God got a hold of me with the gospel, with, with his word. And about a couple weeks before that, Rhonda and I, we were driving on Highway 5, and it was foggy, so foggy that we really didn't know where the exit was. And I had to strain to keep my car literally on the highway. I couldn't see anything. The only thing that I could see was the taillights right in front of me. That's all I could see, the little glimmer of red. And I just focused in on that red, knowing that that's all I have at this point, but you know that's all I need. Some of you, you're holding on to hope by a thread. But if that thread is Jesus, he is enough. He's enough. Hold on to one light and that is God loves you now, and he's coming back in power and glory. We're going to celebrate Jesus' coming as a baby. And that's wonderful. That's a miracle. But I'm already looking forward to his second coming, and I want to be awake for that. You bow your heads, let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're doing. For many who have ears to hear, hearts ready to yield afresh. Father, I pray that we would live today faithfully. I pray against the anxieties that is robbing too many people, even in this room right now. I pray against the anxiety that is staring in the face and the anxiety that is when they take a longer look and they don't know where the world's going. Father, I pray that they would know where they are going. I pray that many would yield afresh to you right here, right now. The best way to prepare for Christmas is to follow Jesus right here, right now. Father, thank you for your word. Use these insights, not just to help us be smarter, but closer to you. 
In Jesus' name, amen. You've been sitting way too long. Won't you stand with me? Not just to stretch. Don't leave, please. God is worthy of your worship. Would you offer him that? That's all you have. God says that's enough.